0: Morning. Delighted to be here with you who are here at St. Luke's this morning and those who are uh, with us online. Trinity Sunday. You may be seated. Trinity Sunday. At least in the calendar of the church and the world in tumult and turmoil and trauma. What's a preacher to do? Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for the greater glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As I say, it's Trinity Sunday, and usually I would be looking forward to unpacking and teaching and preaching about this doctrine of the Trinity. But I suppose in the world as it is today, at least in this present environment of COVID pandemic around the world, three months in a quarantine, restlessness on the streets, cries for social justice, the country and the world having seen a nine-minute video that has unnerved and angered and brought fear, followed by protests, vandalism, and now Police beatings. What's a preacher to do? There is a passage in this epistle reading that gives me comfort. Not so much in the passage we read, but a passage that comes earlier in the text. This second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. He says in the second chapter, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. The Apostle Paul is often called the apostle of the heart set free. Many Christians are well aware of his teaching in the letter to the Philippians where he says, Have have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will stand guard around your heart, will be a garrison around your heart, keeping yourself at peace. In the letter to the Romans, he says, We are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. There is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. But here, in this second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, a letter filled with a discord, his own sense of struggle with these people that are his congregation, if you will. He tells them that his heart was not at rest, his spirit was not at rest. My spirit's not at rest. I struggle with the environment we're in today. I struggle with this quarantine. I struggle with the what it has done to our economy. I struggle with what it has done to people who are locked up and pent up, some of them in small little apartments, big families, in the parks and the places that would give them space, enclosing them, forbidden from them. And then on top of that, the social unrest. Cries for justice. Years of racial discord and struggle. A world characterized, it would seem, by rage and fear. How can a Christian have his heart at rest in this world? In our uh, passage for this morning... The apostle says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? That Jesus Christ is in you. So I ask you this. Do you think Jesus Christ is at rest in our world today? If before he processed into Jerusalem, on the week of his crucifixion, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Oh, how I would have come to you You would not receive me. Would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you would not. So if Jesus Christ is in me, I suppose I should be struggling. Because I cannot help but believe he grieves for our world. There's a passage in the Gospels where Luke tells us that Jesus looked at the crowds and his heart was grieved within him because he saw that they were like sheep without shepherds. So examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith that Jesus Christ is in you. When Jesus Christ is in you, we feel peace in the right places and unrest in the right places of our lives and of our world. And so, we are right to struggle. It is right for us to be not at rest in our hearts. And so the, Paul, the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Second Corinthians to the Romans is, is a letter where he is not at rest throughout the whole thing till he gets to the end. The end of the whole epistle. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. We'll see the Trinity, before it was ever a doctrine that was taught, it was a truth experienced. Long before the church ever calcified, solidified, its understanding of three in one, one in three, Christian believers experienced God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who doesn't need that today? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that reaches out to forgive before we've asked for it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who grants us worth before we've wanted it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings us the love of the Father before we understand it. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified there in the upper room, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I tell you that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. And one of the disciples said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Then he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Then he goes on to talk about the cross. Which is the place where he was going before he went to the Father's home. And the cross is the place of grace, where sin is punished and sinners forgiven, where evil is defeated and people are set free, where death is destroyed and life and immortality is brought to light, where enemies can be reconciled to one another and to God where racial prejudice can be overcome and resentments released, where the broken, the burdened and bruised can be restored. That is where the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is manifested for sinners like you and for me. That is where I can bring my restless heart and pour it out before the Lord. He also says, though, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is is the Spirit of God indwelling us. The Spirit of God that helps us in our weakness. Paul, in this letter to the Romans, says, For the creation has been subject to futility. And that's what we see around us, a world subjected to futility. And that the creation itself will eventually be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. You see, the Apostle Paul looks out on the world and he sees that it is groaning. It is groaning for freedom, for deliverance from bondage, from corruption. And then he says, and we ourselves, who are Christians, in the midst of this, how can we not be caught up in it? And we're yearning for our freedom as well. And then Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's a strange comfort to me. For me to consider that the Spirit of God is groaning within me with sighs and groans too deep for words because I realize that some of that unrest is not just Mark Lawrence. Some of that inner turmoil might be Jesus Christ living within me. Some of the the pain, the angst, the struggle is actually the Spirit of God praying through me and with me and drawing me into that great intercession that Jesus Christ is making for the world. For he lives to make intercession for us. And how can the believer, if Christ is in him or her, not look about the world all around us and say, I ought not to be unconcerned. I ought to be grieved. If the Spirit of God is grieved." He groans with, with groanings too deep for words, for he who searches the hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here we have the Trinity at work, if you will. Jesus Christ, who indwells us, I am the vine, you are the branches, Abide in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's in me, and I'm in him. He's in you, and you're in him. And Jesus looks out on the world and grieves and intercedes. And he's not left us to do this intercession and this work and this struggle alone, for he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell in us, and he is interceding. And who's he interceding to? It is God the Father who he's interceding to. The Father who waits for you and me to come before him. You know, we have a a world where so many, so many young men and young women have never had a father in their lives. They've grown up in a fatherless world. And that causes angst and pain, searching for an emptiness they never seem to find. But it's Jesus Christ who's come to reveal the heart of the Father... And the grace of God that passes all understanding. Philip Yancey in his book What's So Amazing About Grace tells the story of a teenager in Traverse City, Michigan who thinks her parents are all too too old-fashioned. One day they react to her short skirts and her earrings in her nose and they ground her and she says to herself, that's it. She isn't going to take it anymore. So she runs away from home, ending up in Detroit. On her second day there, she meets a man in a, in a big flashy car. He seems so nice. He takes her for a ride in and out to a fancy restaurant. Later that day, he puts her up in a fancy hotel room and then suggests she might want to try some pills that will make her feel really good. Two months pass during which he teaches her what to do with men. Living in a penthouse, she forgets what her modest home in Traverse City it was like. She once has a scare when she sees her picture on a milk carton with a caption, Have you seen this child? But she puts it aside. A year passes and signs of illness begin to show she notices the man who was so nice to her begins to be mean she has less and less money so now she finds she has to pay for her drugs it gets worse and worse eventually the man locks her out of the penthouse and she is forced to find a place to sleep wherever she can keep warm now feeling like a little girl she she's lost and alone and without money food or friends she begins to remember home and the fun she had with her golden retriever chasing the ball. God, she says, why did I leave? More than anything else in life, she discovers she wants to go back home. She doesn't have a cell phone so she finds some quarters for a phone and after 3 tries of finding no one at home she leaves a message. Here's a simple message. Dad, mom, it's me. I was wondering if I might come home. I'm catching a bus up your way. I'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If I don't see you at the station, I guess I'll just stay on the bus and ride it up to Canada. For seven hours, she's alone on the bus, traveling from Detroit to Traverse City. She has a lot of time to think. What if my parents didn't get my message? What if they did and don't want me anymore? Mile after mile, she practices her speech to her parents. At last, the bus pulls into the station, the air brakes hiss, and the driver shouts, 15 minutes, and then we move on. Next stop, Canada. So the frightened young lady looks in her compact mirror and licks off the excess lipstick, with knees knocking, walks into the terminal not knowing what she's going to find. And there, in the terminal, on plastic tables and chairs, stand 40 of her brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, cousins and grandmother, all waving to her and wearing goofy hats, blowing noisemakers. And across the wall of the terminal, a computer printout, Welcome home, it reads. Her dad literally runs up to her. And she has just enough time to blurt out two words, Sorry, Dad. He gives her a hug and hush, sweetheart. He says, We've got a big party for you at home. We've been waiting for you. You see... That's the heart of the Father. That's what Jesus tells us. The heart of the Father waits for us to come home after more foolish choices than we have time to count or remember. You see, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is about declaring that to the world. The Spirit of God is about bringing people to believe in what Jesus has taught and revealed and died to grant us. And the love of God is the Father who waits for us to come home and waits for us to care for His world, not to retreat from it, but to engage with it. And sometimes that engagement causes our hearts to be as restless as the restless heart of God for the lost. So Paul ends this restless letter of 2 Corinthians with the words that seem contradictory to everything he's been talking about, but is actually the whole purpose of the whole thing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. And believe it or not, that can all be in the heart that is restless for God's work in the world at one and the same time. Come unto me, all ye that travel and are heavy laden, and I says Jesus, shall refresh you in the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father. In spite of your foolish choices, your sins, your prejudices, your resentments, and your restless heart, come unto me, and I will grant you peace and rest and refreshment. Amen.